What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Mucky Finance Show podcast. That's right. We're on the podcast today, and I have a guest today, our second ever guest. Man, I'm excited to start bringing more guests on, but we have DJ on today. DJ is an expert in TSPs. He's going to teach us everything about TSPs. Uh, As you guys know, I uh, run a finance channel on YouTube. I have this podcast, but by no means do I claim to be an expert, right? I'm just an everyday guy, and I'm always learning new things. And DJ has taught me a lot, actually, through my live streams, not just in TSPs, but in the different ways that Vanguard funds were structured. So he has got a lot of knowledge. I'm like, I got to bring this guy on. So uh, without further ado, uh, DJ, the floor is yours. Uh, if you want to give us a quick introduction and uh, let us know what you're all about. Yeah, thanks, Moki. I, uh, I'm just a regular guy, right? Like most of, it, of us listening to the show, I think I'm a big podcast fan myself. Uh, I've been a TSP contributor for a couple of years now. I, I dug deep into that after I started uh, uh, having an offering of a TSP. Uh, I, I went the traditional route most of my career. I started my career in corporate America, moved into the government, and uh, just sort of learned my way through investing. Took the school of hard knocks, have some things that I think all of us, you know, I think the number one thing that I hear from almost every investor is, man, I wish I had started earlier. You know, it's kind of universal. And uh, I'm no exception to that rule. Certainly uh, started my investing journey like 15 years ago, um, built up a pretty good set of 401k money, rolled it into traditional IRA, and then really kind of had to get to know the TSP. And one thing that I think is interesting, most people don't know, is TSP is actually the largest retirement fund in the world. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is. So so uh, it doesn't surprise me if you get some questions on your channel, because there's quite a lot of people, uh, whether that's, it just doesn't have to be big government, right? It can be a lot of forms of government, first responders. There's all kinds of various places that where people can adopt a TSP in their portfolio. So it's been a, it's been a good ride and I've learned a lot. Um, and I've even made adjustments based on my knowledge of the TSP as I've gone along the last couple of years. Awesome. So, yeah. And uh, that's shocking news to me that, but it makes sense, right? If you just sit back and think about it, you know, there's a lot of uh, not just government uh, employees on the federal level, but on the state level and all that too. So yeah, it, it, it makes sense. And I've never had the uh, uh, experience with TSP, but if you just want to give us a sort of a, a general breakdown, so they, from my understanding, and this is again, I'm coming in uh, probably with a lot of misinformation, just what I've read online, but they're like 401ks, right? They're tax advantaged. Um, I don't know if they have Roth features. I believe they, as far as I know, they're all pre-tax, but you can correct me on that. And then can you just break down what type of investment options? So if this, if people that have a a 401k and maybe now they are transferring to different work where only a TSP is available. What are the investment options? Can I go get a FXKX, VTSAX, or am I limited to only what's inside the TSP? And if so, uh, what's that look like in there? Because I can't open up a TSP and show people. So I think uh, this will be good, uh, good info if you want to share that. Sure thing. So I'll start off with a little bit of a history lesson. So Uh, A long time ago, it's like in the late 80s, the government phased out the old school retirement system. It was called CSRS. And basically that retirement system said, you don't even have to pay into social security. You won't ever withdraw from social security, but you don't even have to make contributions to it. We're just going to give you the government pension and that will be your retirement. Uh, In the late 80s, Congress recognized the need for a reduction of the solid fixed income pensions in the government retirement plan and to introduce a 401k-like plan. Thus, the Thrift Savings Plan of the TSP was born. Um, 
it started off in 1987 and the only thing that you could get was uh, basically the most safe fund that they offer. So having said that, I'll, I'll start off into the basic funds that are offered. Uh, so there are five core funds in the TSP. There's the C fund, which tracks the S&P 500 index. Uh, there's the S fund that tracks the Dow Jones US completion total stock market index. There's the I fund, which is the, the MSCI uh, Europe, Australia, Asia, Far East index. Uh, and then there are the bond funds, which is the F fund, which just tracks the Bloomberg Barclays US aggregate bond index. And then there's the G fund that tracks short-term US treasury securities. The G fund is one of actually the most popular uh, funds in the TSP because it is guaranteed by the government in the TSP to never have a negative year. 2008 was not red. Really? Uh, yeah. So a lot of uh, folks in the TSP as they go to retire, you know, a lot of people like to have a couple of years of cash on hand in order to get through any potential sequence of return risk. And so they'll put it in the G fund because they know that it's not going to lose money. Um, so that's, that's part of it. Now, there are also 10 other funds. They're life cycle funds. They're much like target date retirement funds. Um, you'll have them based on years, you know, whether that's 2025, 2030, 2045, et cetera. Um, and I just learned yesterday, actually, so this is kind of breaking news for the Moki finance community, right? That uh, Alight Solutions, which is a Chicago-based com company, which is up in your neck of the woods. My best friend actually sent me this link because he works for them. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to start offering mutual fund window with ESG funds, the environmental, social, and governance funds available. That's going to be next summer. So it's going to be a significant number of them. They're not sure exactly. They don't have a lot of details on those. Uh, but any TSP investors that are interested in ESG funds will have that opportunity come starting next year. Um, so that's kind of the, the broad-based nuts and bolts of it. Uh, also, the I guess I should mention that there's a 5% match. So your contributions are matched up to 5%. So you put in 5%, government puts in 5%. Um, there are some, I wanted to go over some pros and cons. So along that history lesson for a very long time, the TSP was really popular because it was um, the most exciting cost-based funds. It was the lowest cost. It, was, it followed the Jack Bogle philosophy. The original before, index funds. Yeah, before a lot of other people had that type of investment available in their 401ks. So up until the last five years or so, it was actually the cheapest way to contribute to a retirement fund. And they're still below six basis points, uh, generally, each of the funds. So they're, they're pretty, pretty competitive. Um, but, uh, you know, lately we've gotten some zero-cost index funds and, and the like, which has been introductory. But that's the, that's the nuts and bolts of it. It's, um, it's very advantageous for people to understand the, the differences in the funds. Uh, you know, I like you and I'm solidly in the accumulation phase of my journey here. And so I don't deal at all with the F and G. Um, I also personally don't invest in the I. The I has been the worst performing of the funds, but it's that's true for all international funds. Um, personally, I would rather have uh, an international index that's a total international stock market index rather than uh, a, a, something that tracks an index that uh, excludes emerging markets. So that's one of the reasons I leave that out. Uh, I'm a strong believer, though, in that S&P 500 and that small cap fund. Um, also, I think there's some 
some things that should be said. There are definitely cons to the TSP that people need to be aware of. Uh, one of the facts uh, is that you can't have a non-spouse beneficiary that can retain the TSP. Um, so uh, that that is kind of a, a big deal because if it's not your wife or it's your child or something, they are going to be forced to roll that into an inherited IRA. Um, the other pieces of it, um, which is interesting, is there is a Roth component to the TSP, actually. So I contribute to a Roth TSP. Um, so obviously the government's matching portion is still pre-tax. Mine is Roth, but it is different in, than other Roths in that, uh, at least under current law, that the Roth TSP, unlike the Roth IRA, has required minimum distributions. What? Uh, yeah. It's a wild fact. It's the only Roth vehicle in existence that, that requires minimum distributions. And part of the reason for that is that congressional uh, committees don't like the idea of these funds growing eternally uh, and then potentially being uh, a vehicle to avoid taxation in the long run, right? I mean, that, that was the goal. So yeah, so let me just quick question here. So if you have a TSP Roth, if you leave uh, your employment in, in, in the public sector and say you go to a private sector, when you roll that TSP over, can you roll that into a Roth IRA? But then uh, it's going to roll over just like a Roth 401k, right? And then potentially that Roth IRA uh, won't have any type of uh, required minimum distributions in the future, right? So that's one workaround if you're not going to retire in, 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 in the public sector, right? Or no? Yeah, yeah, that's what everybody does, generally speaking. Not, not everybody, that's a bit of an overstatement, but the mass majority, uh, vast majority of TSP participants go down and they accumulate, 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 and then their last, say, three years or so of working, they'll go ahead and roll their Roth TSP into a Roth IRA and then only continue with pre-tax contributions. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, makes sense. Yeah. Now, it's interesting, too, you mentioned something kind of uh, that they endorsed uh, low cost. And this is something, again, that it, I did not know this. Uh, my idea, and again, I'm coming into this as a rookie when it comes to TSPs. I probably should have done more research. But my idea was always like, this is um, government-managed 401k that's got like two, three options in it. And they're all like balanced funds, like 50-50, you know, total market or bond. I didn't know you could actually set up a strategy where you could literally uh, I didn't see small caps, but you could probably do like a Mucky 3 uh, minus the small caps, right? So th that's pretty cool. Um, and now even the introduction of, of what you were saying with ESG funds and, and these life cycle funds, kind of like target date index funds. I mean, I can't distinguish, at least from what you're telling me, I can't distinguish really a huge difference between this and, and, a, and a 401k, right? Like, I mean, I know with 401ks, a lot of people might have additional investment options uh, in, in the sense of maybe there's some active management in there, but all that stuff is not really good for you. Um, so this has gr uh, at least looks like to me as, as a really uh, sound option for, for government employees and state employees to take advantage of because they can set up core strategies in index funds. And now that they have the Roth option, I mean, it's, like almost all of our 401ks, even sweeter, you get a little bit of a, of a added uh, assurance with the short-term treasuries, which again is shocking to me, but it makes sense, right? They're issued by the US government, so they can, uh, they can guarantee them as they will. So interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, my next question to you is then, uh, this is talking in line with the RMD is, once you roll this over, um, is there any 
type of restrictions where you're supposed to keep a certain amount in or you're supposed to be invested a certain amount before the match is vested. Uh, just talk to us a little bit about match because I know every employer that I've worked with, they've had, they've had different types of rules on their matches. Some of them would give me a match right away. Others that had a, a nicer match, they'd be like, well, you know, you got to be here with us for a year until this gets vested. So it's not really your money. I mean, it'll grow in there, but it's not really your money. So uh, what do you know about that as far as the match? Uh, is that going to be different from uh, government uh, office to government office or how's that work? So it might be different amongst different agencies in terms of when you're eligible to start your contributions. Uh, you know, I had some delay. I didn't start contributing to the TSP on day one of my employment, right? It took uh, several weeks for me to get enrolled into the system. But uh, as soon as I was there, I was eligible for the match. And so as I contributed, they matched in turn uh, all along the way. Uh, the only real restrictions are, and, and, and things that really, I guess is another con that I should have listed earlier, is there are definite restrictions when it comes to withdrawals. Um, one of the major things that most people have a problem with when it comes to withdrawals in the TSP, and it takes, it does take several hundred dollars that you have to maintain in a TSP in order to keep the account. Uh, otherwise, they just mark it as inactive and distribute the funds out to your IRA. Uh, but the, the difficulty is if you have a diversified Moki 3 portfolio, and I have a lot of people were in the CS and I funds. So they were, you know, it's not, the S funds, a completion index, it's not really small cap, uh, but it's marketed to the government folks, a small cap index. Is that kind of the completion index? That's kind of like an extended market, right? I mean, we're yeah. talking mid, it's the F, F max and uh, the FZIPX, right? It's just mids and smalls in it really. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, basically what I did is I just took 80% uh, of the C and 20% of the S and just considered a total market index fund. Yeah. Uh, that's basically what I did uh, and what a lot of people do, right? But some people truly stick to the Moki 3 and go 60-20-20 with the C and the S and the and I funds. The thing too with that I fund, if it's developed international, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you, Mr. Uh, DJ, uh, if it's de developed international, I, I'm almost harp. I'm, I'm thinking it's better to be all in U.S., right? Because it's like, is Japan and is Britain and Germany, are they going to do better than the U.S.? I mean, they might in the future, but really a lot of the growth comes from those emerging markets, you know, those small countries that turn into big countries, right? They almost, if you want to look at them as small caps. So I, I like total international much better than just developed international. But I mean, I could be completely wrong. Like we don't know what the future is going to be. And maybe, you know, develop these developed countries, all of a sudden Japan wakes up after 30 years of, of being flat and all of a sudden it takes off. Anything's possible. Uh, but maybe later on they can work on something like that because they, if they're willing to get ESG in and they got these life cycle funds, I, I don't see why not maybe get a little bit of an emerging market. Uh, uh, I don't know who controls that. Uh, if, if Like when I, um, when I worked for an employer that only had actively managed funds, I was blowing up HR's ear, uh, I think weeks on end until I said, you guys, you're either getting a cut from some broker and you're doing this or you don't have the best uh, employee's interest in mind. And if you want these employees to stay here, get index funds in the 401k, right? So who control, uh, as far, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but who controls it, who sets it up? And then how often, uh, in your experience, I know you've only been investing in it for a few years, but how often do new funds get introduced into this? So I think that's probably one of the drawbacks as well. So it, it ha does have an independent board. There's a TSP board that manages all of the funds and uh, they've 
partnered with State Street BlackRock uh, to have the underlying fund investments, but they've also partnered with Allied Solutions to provide the, the fund window, like I mentioned earlier, for ESG funds. Um, so the, the G fund was around in 1987. That was the first fund. The C uh, and the F was incorporated the following year, but the S fund, that completion index that we just talked about, it wasn't around until 2000. Um, and, you know, over the last decade, they've added life cycle funds, but that's largely been it. Uh, I do think that that's changing. Uh, part of the part of the thing is this thing is a yacht, right? It's not a jet ski. Yeah. So getting to be able to make changes to a program that literally is so large financially is a challenge. And, uh, and it, it would be a challenge for any organization, really. Uh, but with the, I do think with the inclusion of the fund window, there's an opportunity there that the government plans to exploit down the line of being able to include other investment funds. I think it'll probably be um, at least limited in the near term maybe the intermediate term to the people that they're already partnered with, namely State Street and BlackRock. But I do think that that's going to come down the line. Uh, one thing I, I, I meant to mention before, when you go to withdraw in your retirement from the TSP, if you're in the C and the S and the I, for example, and you need to take out 4%, you're saying, I'm going to follow the 4% rule. I don't recommend that. But you know, again, this doesn't constitute financial advice and all that. Um, but withdrawals are actually pro rata. So if you say, I'm going to withdraw 4% from my funds, it withdraws 4% from each of the funds. It does not take into account, there's no flexibility to do a bucket strategy where you say, okay, bonds made, made money this year. I'll let the stock sit. Um, you'd have to basically take a withdrawal and then rebalance afterwards. Gotcha. But it does allow for rebalancing, manual rebalancing, right? It's just, it if you if you set up a uh, withdrawal of 4%, it's going to pull four percent off everything but if if uh let's say i do my annual rebalance and i say okay uh i saw this year if uh s&p did terrible and and the uh, completion index did a lot better and now all of a sudden i'm like 60 40 i want to go back to 80 20 i can do that manually every year right yep yep i actually did it several times last year uh just because we had a, a really big upswing in some of the equities that were held and, and the percentages of my portfolio got out of whack kind of frequently because it climbed so quickly that I, I re, rebalanced like three, four times last year. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, that, that is a little bit of a drawback. Let me ask you about these life cycle funds because, you know, early on uh, as an investor, I think uh, I, I got introduced to those uh, robo-advisors. I forgot the name of the company now. I think it was better. Betterment is the company. Um, And I I set up uh, this was young me. I set up uh, just an account with them. And they basically are like a target date fund with a 25 basis point expense ratio. And you just say what your risk is. These target date funds that they have. Have you gotten a chance to look into the funds and see does it break down where it has any uh, emerging markets or, or or value or small value? Or is it just like a total U.S., total international, total bond? Uh, so, yeah, each of the life cycle funds are actually made up of the five individual funds that I've already listed. Okay. So it's the C, S, I, F, and G, and it's all in certain por- proportions, depending on how far you are close to your retirement date. Um, and unfortunately, that means that, and that's one of the reasons I don't I personally invest in life cycle funds is because the I fund, which I do not rate at all, is in every single retirement target date retirement fund or life cycle fund in the TSP. Um, so it's, it's just an amalgamation of those. So, you know, you hear a lot of times, oh, well, there's 15 funds in the TSP. Well, the truth is there's really five. The other 10 are just prorated, you know, by percentage based on your age. 
Gotcha. No, that makes sense now. So these these life cycle funds are these five core funds kind of, you know, mixed to the allocation or the risk tolerance by whatever target date year they're going, which now makes more sense. So yeah, it probably wouldn't be advent. It might be more advantageous for the do-it-yourself investor to pick your own out of these five versus letting, uh, picking one of these life cycle funds. Um, because that was going to be my advice. I'm like, wait a minute, if we can't get emerging markets in this thing and all this, what if we just go with these life cycle funds and maybe they already got emerging markets, but, uh, I take that back. What are some other cons? Cause I, I'm hearing a lot of good pros, right? This to me is like whether you're going to invest in, a, in an IRA or a TSP. Um, obviously, with an IRA, you, you if you do a Roth IRA, if you qualify, you get six thousand dollars, and that's it. Um, hopefully, you're investing more than six thousand. So this is a great uh, tool that you know if you do work for the, for the government, and TSP's option is is an option for you, and you don't have options to work four hundred one ks. I would highly recommend, uh, this is just like a 401k, I would highly recommend this is the account you focus on, especially because there's a match, um, and especially because these are low-cost funds. But what are some other, if if any, other cons that you can think of, um, excluding Roth IRAs, of course, because, you know, Roth IRAs, everybody can get on their own if they qualify. But uh, comparing this to a 401k, what are some other cons uh, to being invested in the TSP? Actually, the, other than the, the you know the non-spouse beneficiary issue, the the, the Roth TFP RMDs, and then the withdrawals being pro rata, which that's more of a, a inconvenience than actual con, I would say. I think that those are, are basically it. It's very much acts and behaves just like any other retirement portfolio. Uh, you do. Um, you know, unlike the pension on the government side, which you have to take at certain ages, uh, the TSP, as soon as you retire, it's, it's eligible to you, obviously, with the penalty if you're younger than 59 and a half, right, or 55 as long as you retire in government service. Um, it's it's very much the same. I actually like it the best out of any employer plan that I've been offered up to date because you really have no choice but low-cost, highly diversified funds. It forces you to do the right thing. That's that's amazing because again, I had to fight a lot of employers to get uh, index funds in when I uh, and part of my last employer before I left them, I was in the pharmaceuticals business. They actually had Vanguard and it was all low cost uh, uh, index funds. But previous to that, I've worked for for a financial institution and I mean it was nothing but active management in their 401k. And I'm like, you guys are kidding me, right? Like this is not what employees want. So. I'm really impressed. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for for the knowledge in this, but I'm really impressed with with the offerings inside of a TSB. And now I feel very confident. Um, I've written them down here, but I feel very confident next time somebody asks me, I'm going to say, well, you know, you should look at the C fund for sure, because that's a S&P 500. You know, I support um, lar large cap blends and uh Thank you for at least uh, educating me enough now where I can comfortably speak on it. I'm not still an expert, of course, but I can comfortably speak on them. Um, I do have another uh, topic that I want to discuss because you brought up and you seem very knowledgeable, by the way, in index investing. But you brought up something about uh, VTSAX in one of my live streams about why it doesn't pay capital distributions. Uh, I always had just I never knew this, but I always knew that uh, VTSAX didn't pay capital distributions for my research. 
And I, I wondered, you know, when I read Bogle's work, I'm like, man, how did he uh, set up a fund that has still some turnover in it? Like it, it introduced Tesla in it and all these funds, uh, is stocks, but it's got like four or 5% turnover, but it's never paid a capital distribution. So if you want to share with our podcast listeners, I think they can benefit from this as well. Uh, sort of more recently, I've told people, you know, even though I'm against ETFs, man, they're better in taxable accounts, right? Just because, you know, they don't pay those capital distributions, but there is a mutual fund op, uh, 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 way to go about it. I know it's going to be expiring, but yeah, share your knowledge in that. And I think that, that that would be very beneficial to the listeners. Sure. Um, first of all, hats off to Jack Bogle because he, he, like you, Moki, is one of my all-time heroes in, in terms of investing. And I think personally, he's done more for the average investor than any other human being that's, that's uh, existed up to this point anyway. Uh, and in conjunction with being the best for the common person and the common investor, he was absolutely brilliant when it came to the mechanics of underlying funds. Uh, you know, he was in the business over half a century and, and it really helped. Uh, and so one of the things that he did when he formed the, the index fund was he wanted to be sure to protect it against any kind of uh, predator that might come along if, if you know, the, the financial world was targeting Jack back in those days. And so he decided, okay, well, let's, let's try to come up with a, a patent that will allow Vanguard to go forth and have uh, indexed mutual funds in an account, but that behave like they're traded on the stock market. And even though they're not sold uh, like, like and traded throughout the day as a stock would be, they would be protected from capital gains, distributions, and the like, at least on the back end of all the transactions. And so basically, uh, if you compare a lot of the ETFs from a lot of other companies, you'll find, oh, wow, yeah, the, they've got uh, some higher expenses on their end because they're having to compete. You know, they're just not as tax efficient as, as uh, some of the ETFs that are out there. But uh, Vanguard has been protected from that for a number of years. Their, their patent expires in 2023. I believe it's April 2023. I could be wrong on that. But, uh, and so up until this point, you go and look at VTSAX, as you mentioned, and you compare it to VTI, and it's going to be almost identical. Uh, but there is going to be some hit felt after that 2023 patent expiration. It's something that I actually found on another podcast that I uh, listened to. I think you listened to it to the Money Guy show. I actually yeah. heard, yeah, I heard, I heard them mention that. And so I went and dug into it and tried to do some research to find out, okay, what was the underlying mechanics? How did they pull that off? Because you wouldn't think that someone would let that patent go through the patent office, right? But, yeah, I mean, because it, if you just think back to 1975, uh, I mean, even though there was a lot of uh, closet index funds back then, you know, active management back then was, yeah, it charged high expense ratios, but there was like blue chip Basically, there was index funds that were charging 1% back then because they were just following, they were not following the S&P to a T, but they were holding large blue chip stocks and, you know, they were charging investors 1%, 2% to, for the, for the privilege to invest in their funds. I'm surprised back then that they would say, uh, yeah, it's okay. Cause studying Jack Bogle when he got kicked off, uh, uh, or when he got fired by Wellington because he didn't, um, well, basically it was for his story was that he, he uh, didn't embrace the go-go funds. And then when he did, he brought in a, a, some other firm and uh, they lost a lot of money and they decided to get rid of him. And that's when he created Vanguard. But that era, uh, what, from what I learned from him is he wanted this to be, or he pitched it as, you know, a non-competitive fund. It's not going to compete against active management. You know, we're just going to, 
uh, just be doing our own thing here on this side. And he almost tricked them. You know, he almost they they probably wrote him off in 75 thinking, oh, yeah, this guy's you know, nobody's going to want this. I remember his stories about, you know, uh, the Johnson family and, and the owner of Fidelity, you know, saying saying that index funds were un-American and we have to stamp them out because, you know, uh, the whole point of investing is to, you know, be this great performer and, you know, outperform the, you know, if you're just being average, that's not American, you know? So I think that's probably how he did it. He just made it, he made Vanguard seem like this sort of passive uh, thing that's not going to amount to anything. Nobody's going to show any interest. And they didn't in the beginning. And um, uh, lucky for us that, you know, uh, even it took, uh, it took a long time, but it's caught on, it's caught on like wildfire now. And I think people see, uh, you know, the brilliance of his work. So that's amazing that he did that. And I appreciate that. And I've been invested in F, uh, FT SAX uh, or VTSAX, I should say. Um, but it was always in tax advantage accounts. So even if it did pay capital distributions, it didn't matter to me. But yeah, I have sort of uh, switched my strategy, but I've done the numbers too uh, compared to FXAIX, right? That's the one that I hold in my tax bill, which is the Fidelity 500 mutual fund. The last time that fund paid a capital distribution, I, I didn't own that fund, right? But I know that uh, even though it hasn't paid capital distributions in the last 18 months, it's coming. And it's it's going to be, give or take, probably a penny, two pennies, three pennies a share. I mean, they only switched three or four companies out, right? So there's still low turnover. But I've, I've done the math over the last five years, and the tax drag was 10 basis points compared to just uh, a regular uh, S&P ETF. Uh, and 10 basis points over a lifetime of 40 years um, could really impact, you know, the performance and could, you know, cause me to lose, depending on the size of my portfolio, either a couple of thousand or fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars to taxes. Um, so I have changed my stance on that and said, OK, you know what, uh, even though I don't like ETFs because I personally, every time I was in them, I traded them Um my audience is mature enough to know that I don't endorse trading. So if I say it's okay to have an ETF and a taxable uh, because it's really for their benefit, even though I don't follow that advice myself personally, I think um, a lot of people are waking up to that too. So very interesting story. Thank you for sharing that as well. Yeah, sure thing. I, I have similar uh, experience. You know, I, I had a, when I first started investing when I was younger, I, I really went hard into taxable account because I had money left over after I'd maxed out my retirement. I said, okay, well, let's have some fun and see what we can do. And made a lot of stupid trades. Uh, but as of like five years ago, I decided I'm going to do VTI and I don't even look at it. I just, the only trade I ever make to it is I add to it. And I've, you know, Jack, Jack Bogle had that let's not peak thing yep. and, and it was great. And so, you know, I really feel like uh, the VT sex, it's not a bad investment to have in a taxable account by any stretch of the imagination. You know, especially a large, diversified, low, low turnover, you're talking like 4% turnover rate, it's not going to be uh, astronomically terrible from a taxation standpoint. Now, you get into small cap ETFs, that might be different because you have a lot more companies coming and going out of those that's index. What, that's what I'm afraid of because I've had uh, FISVX in my taxable, a small percentage. Now, you'll see in the video I put out today, kind of overloaded and get bought like $12,000 worth of it. It's done something like 76% the one-year mark. It just rebalanced two days ago. I know for a fact they would have kicked GameStop and AMC out of it because they went over the $2 billion threshold that the Russell 2000 Value Index wants. So that means this fund is going to be paying in August. That's the next time it pays capital distributions. I wouldn't be shocked if it pays close to a dollar a share. 
um, for a fund that's worth 28 bucks, maybe even more. I think I shared on the live stream, FS Max paid $5.96, and that one's trading around 90 bucks a share. So, you know, that's one of the things that I'm kind of kicking myself now, uh, kind of a rookie mistake. I probably could have done better by by using something like VTWV or, or, or the IJR or IJS, I forgot the other, the S&P one. Um, but again, it, I'll, I'll stick to this point. If you have a taxable account, it should be the last account you focus on. And two, you should probably just do an S&P 500 total market in there. Don't uh, get all cute, either, even with the monkey three, right? Because yeah, with the international, you can get an international credit. So you're not paying double taxes and all that. But you're just, it's probably complicating stuff uh, when, when it could be a lot simpler or, or, or like you do DJ, just VTI, you know, and God, I just wish, you know, I, I, I would have done that. Now, it's, I'm not saying it's too late. I can always uh, stop contributing to these and just start buying VTI and these will just grow to what they grow to. And then, you know, VTI will be the best one. But, uh, you know, that's good, good information as well. And I'm going to agree with you that, you know, maybe something like a VTI and stay out of small caps, uh, stay out of anything else in, 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 in a taxable. Yeah. One thing I've learned, and, you know, I'm, I'm about 10 years ahead of you in terms of the accumulation stage here is, you know, you're going to see as you shift from your early 30s to your early 40s, you're going to say, okay, these are a lot larger numbers, right? And so tax implications, those kinds of things start mattering more. And I imagine the next 10 years, tax structure and tax locations are going to be pretty important uh, when you start considering bonds or REITs or preferred stock, which I would not recommend, but some people do. I mean, all of those types of things that it's best in a before tax account, right? Your pre-tax money. If you have any of that, uh, that's where it should go. I think, I think there's definitely some, you know, uh, I don't know if you know Fritz Gilbert from the Retirement Manifesto. He's really good good source of information on some of What's this. What's the name? But, Fritz? Uh, Fritz Gilbert. He, uh, he wrote a book called The Keys to Successful Retirement. And he's got a, a blog called The Retirement Manifesto. Now he's on the opposite end of the spectrum from us, right? And, and probably not your target audience. But when you start approaching retirement, uh, pretty good source. Um, you know, he, he has a chart that he lays out uh, where, what investments are best and what structure. I can forward that on to you if you like. But, you know, uh, he, he targets growth stocks and after tax or, you know, large diversified ETFs like VTI in there, uh, international stocks or international funds or small cap funds and Roth, and then your bonds and your other safer assets and pre-tax. That structure, especially when you start talking about large, large sums of money, becomes pretty important from a tax perspective in your retirement years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of us, and I mean, it's just, it is what it is. But when we start investing, I had this, you know, vision of where it's going to go to, but I didn't have all the knowledge, right? So like, yeah, I knew my goal was to be a millionaire by 65. But I should have thought of a million at 65. How does one manage that and work backwards versus, um, I guess, trying to do everything to get to a million. And then once you get to a million, you realize, wait a minute, I didn't do this the most efficient way. But again, it's still at the end of the day, I can still sleep at night because it's probably still better than having an active managed fund in my taxable because those will uh, pay a, a lot more capital distributions. And it's still probably better than picking individual stocks in there and then buying and selling and trading and 
you know, a lot of those are probably be short term uh, capital gains, even if they're long term capital gains, you're still being very inefficient because it's very difficult to buy and hold company for as I've shown people over 50 years uh, the S&P just keeps changing every decade, you know, the top 10 are looking a lot different than the previous decade. So um, it, it's not I don't want to come on here and scare people because I feel like every time I say something people go and change everything and I, I don't want them to do that because one of the things I always preach is, you know, don't tinker with your stuff. Let it be. Um, of course, later on, you can make adjustments and, and just switch to what you're invested in, which now I'm seeing probably, you know, once my taxable account, that is the, uh, by the way, there's only two taxable accounts I have. Most of my stuff is in tax protected, but if it grows to maybe something like $100,000 and and I, I get the uh, the bill for the tax at the end of the year and I see, oh my God, you know, now I owe five, $6,000 that I just threw away when I could have not thrown that away. That's probably when I'll change, when I feel it in the pocketbook. Uh, but until then, I'm almost hesitant to change uh, just because I feel like the more stuff we change, the worse off we'll do, generally speaking. Of course, if you're changing from active management to index funds, by all means, do that. Uh, the sooner you do that, the more you're going to save. But uh, kind of, you know, jumping from fund to fund, uh, it, it might cost you. But uh, I appreciate the conversation today, DJ. It's been very fun on my end. Thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast. I know you've been a follower of the channel. Uh, how, how long, by the way, I like to ask people this. When did you find me and how did you find me? Because I'm just curious, as a channel that's as small as me, right? And I acknowledge I'm a small fish in a big pond. How the heck did you find my channel? The, the short answer is the wonderful YouTube algorithm, right? <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm passionate about finance, always have been. Uh, so I have a, a list of financial YouTubers that I, I checked out and yours was one of the recommended channels actually that, that popped up. And so I said, hey, let's, let's see what he's preaching here. And uh, yeah, really fell in love with it. Love the Moki 3 strategy. I really think uh, that it's powerful stuff, especially for people that are early on in their careers that are going to be committed. And I totally agree with you. The less tinkering, the better. Don't peak. I mean, if you can do automated investing where you don't even look at it, that's even better. Uh, and I just really appreciate you having me on and uh, letting me get to have a sounding board for not just the TSP, but finance in general. And uh, I'm really grateful for you to have me. Absolutely. And then um, last question before before we sign off is I always like to ask this too. You're only my second guest. I, I keep saying always, but I've only asked one other guy these questions. Uh, but when would we be able to see you either back on the podcast or maybe even maybe if you're interested, because I've kind of talked to you before in the pre-show, I might be launching a second channel where I'm doing these type of live interviews. When could we either see you on the podcast or on the second channel uh, uh, doing live interviews? Uh, easy answer is uh, I have this day off every other week. So you just let me know and I'm, I'm around, brother. Yeah, I got one other guest lined up after you. If I can't find any, because eventually, right, I'm going to run out of guests. I mean, I'm not that big. People are not going to be willing to, most people are not willing to come on. So um, once after that guest, uh, I will hit you back up, DJ. I'm like, hey, I got a slot open uh, and we just talk it up for 30, 45 minutes, however long. And um, uh, we'll have a lot of fun. This has been, I think, hopefully one, educate educational. That's the main goal. But it's been uh, fun and entertaining for me. I always love learning new things here in different perspectives. I mean, these were not new perspectives outside of the TSP and a little uh, uh, tax taxable talk there with VTSAX. But thanks so much. 
I appreciate you coming on. Everybody, I appreciate you for listening. Thank you guys so much. If you haven't if done so any already, reviews because the Apple be, Podcast uh, side is the only place, unfortunately, but please on the podcast. Uh, open so up the Apple I'm Podcast and leave it up. me a review on there. Review. Give so me a leave rating. your review so that I can read it live on air. It helps me out. It helps spread the podcast to more listeners. Uh, so people like DJ, other people can get recommended the podcast. Thank you guys again so much. DJ, thank you for your time. As always, guys, remember, move obstacles, keep investing.